Yes. Well, congratulations to the class of 2015. Let's give it up for them one more time. That was some great advice. You know, uh, how does it feel for you seniors to have the pressure to make the grade, the pressure to figure out what you're going to do when you graduate and what college you're going to go to or what decision or whether you're going in the workforce? How does it feel to just kind of have some of that stuff behind you right now? Does that just feel good? I'll never forget. I'll never forget, same thing when I graduated high school and when I graduated college. When I finished my last class in high school, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I walked out, and at like a last exam, and I walked out the door, and it was a beautiful sunny day, I had my, my book bag on, and I walked out, and I just stopped, started smiling, and I just looked up to heaven, and I said, thank you, God. <laughs> I did the same thing when I graduated college, and, uh, and man, it's an exciting time for you guys. And, and, and this, is, this is that, you know, all throughout your life, you have all of these different graduation moments, right? Like, you graduate from diapers to pull-ups, from pull-ups to the potty. You know what I'm saying? That's a glorious day if you're a parent when your kid makes it to the potty finally because you don't have to change some stinky diapers because I'm in the middle of that right now. I, I don't need any counseling. But anyways, but maybe I do. And, um, and you know, or you, you, you transition from milk to solid food. You transition, uh, you know, you transition from, from preschool to elementary, elementary to middle, middle to high, high to college, college to the workforce, college to postgraduate work. I mean, there's all of these different graduation moments in your life. We call these markers, marker moments. Moments. The marker moments of when you graduate from being a non-driver to a driver. Anybody getting their driver's license this year, 2015? Is your driver's license year? <laughs> for some people, for some people like our resident Coy, he's going to graduate from single life to married life later this year. Yes, he is. He saw it. He's like, he just went just like this. <laughs> like, thank you, God. It's the same kind of thing. And, uh, and listen, <clears throat> uh, we have all these different graduation moments in our life, and, and this, is, this is kind of as I've been reflecting on this and as I've thought back through those times, I think this would be my encouragement to you. My encouragement to you would be this. Um, don't get too cocky. Don't get too cocky. See, I think that what happens is sometimes we get a little cocky in these moments because all the attention is put on us. All of the accolades are given to us. We got money coming in. We got parties for us. The school is recognizing us for our accomplishments. And I think that what happens is, and I've noticed this in, in life, is that what happens is, is that accomplishment can lull us to apathy. Accomplishment can lull us into apathy. It can, it can make us coast. It can make us coast. And let me tell you, when you coast in life, you pay the price. When you coast in life, you pay the price. Let me, let me tell you, I don't know if any of you guys work. Any of you guys uh, work somewhere? You have a job somewhere? I, I don't know if you have anybody at your work like this, but, but I, if you're a hard worker, does it just bug the crap out of you when you see someone just coasting at work? You're working so hard, you're doing your job, you're being faithful, and they're just kind of coasting, like just doing little bit, little things. You know, you know how frustrating that makes you when you know you're carrying the weight? And listen, when you coast, it costs you. In fact, if you don't believe me, you can ask a guy named Tangay Pepiot. He's a runner for the Oregon Ducks, and several weeks ago, he was running in the Pepsi Invitational 
um, with all these teams from around the country. And uh, I got a little quick clip from the race. Check it out. My word for it, there's a moral to this story. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can. And you know, you see his face. And you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. I mean, can you imagine that feeling, right? Did you see his face when that guy, he edged him out and he looked at him and he's like, oh no. Like, I just lost the race. Like, I was, I was so far ahead. What happened is he started, to, he started to coast. He started to get a little cocky, right? He's looking at the crowd. He's like, yeah, look at me. Yeah, look how awesome I'm doing. And then he gets edged out in the end. Listen, listen. You cannot coast in life. And this is, this is what happens. What happens is you seniors have been set up in what I would call the perfect storm for coasting. The perfect storm for coasting. What happens is you start your senior year and your class load, you know, you're trying to figure that out. And some of you tried to figure it out so you don't have to take as much of a load in the second semester. And then we all know that this disease begins to hit us at some point in our senior year. It's different for everybody. For me, it started in my junior year, but it's called senioritis. Anybody, anybody know that disease? Some of you are like, I'm a freshman and I got it. And, and this senioritis disease hits us. And listen, listen, this is what senioritis is. Senioritis is, you know what? I'm going to just coast a little bit. I'm going to do the bare minimum. Like, like I don't want to be at school. Like, I'm going to miss the maximum number of possible days that I can miss without, like, failing. You know, like, I'm just, I got into the school. They accepted me already. Like, and so you start coasting into senioritis. And then, and then this is what happens. This is why it's the perfect storm. What happens is, is that then graduation starts to come and parents start giving you a little more freedom because you're graduating or you're about to go off to school. And so we want to, we want to let you taste a little more freedom so that you don't, you know, you get used to that. And, and so you have that. And then you're like, man, I've got limited time left with my friends. So I need to spend time with my friends. So you start hanging out with your friends all the time and, and it all starts to become about you. In fact, it's interesting. We talk about this all the time at all these different youth pastor roundtables and stuff that I go to. And and they say, hey, man, how do you keep seniors coming? Because like January rolls around and they just check out. They start checking out on faith. They start checking out on church. And it's not that they're not interested. It's just they're busy. And they have to go and do all this kind of stuff. And so they're hanging out with their friends and they're doing all. And they have all these parties for them. And it's all about them. And then it's summertime. Man, it's my last chance to hang out with my boys. They're going all over the place to college. I'm going off to college. And so you're hanging out, your, your, your family gets put on the back burner, church gets put on the back burner, God gets put on the back burner, and you just coast. And then that carries into your freshman year of college. You get up to school, you, don't, you may not know that many people, it's a new fresh start, and so you get into your dorm, you're meeting new people, it's Saturday night, everybody's wanting to go hang out, your roommates want to go hang out, you're trying to build community, you're trying to connect anyway. You know what, I'll get, I'll get this church thing down later, and so, so you start going out with your friends every Saturday night, and then you stay out late, so then it's hard to get up on Sunday morning, and the next thing you know, you have been completely disconnected from church, completely disconnected from biblical community, completely completely disconnected with God because you've been coasting for the whole for a whole entire year from January of your of your senior year of high school all the way through to December of your freshman year of college. Let me tell you that pattern plays out in 90% of freshmen 
and seniors in high school and freshmen in college every single year. In fact, you know that studies show this? Studies show that 85% of people, 85% of students make it to their senior year of high school as virgins. That statistic flips completely upside down after their freshman year of college. So in two years, senior year of high school and freshman year of college, it literally flips to 15%. People say, what happens? The sharpest drop-off from people in church is senior year of high school, freshman year of college. All the study and research shows it. I say this to people all the time. I believe that the most important years of your life, the the eight most important years of your life are from 14 to 22. From 14 to 22, that is when your value system is built. That's when when, uh, your your faith is built. That is when the decisions for where you're going to go to college are built. The decisions for your career are built. The degrees that you're going to have, potentially the person that you're going to marry, the cities that you're going to live in. Most of those decisions are made between 14 and 22. The two most important years between 14 and 22 are freshman year of college and senior year of high school. And most people can't win them. That's why when people screw around in high school and college and they just treat it like the party years and then they wonder why when they get older in life they, are, they, are, they, they can't find a job, they can't, they're struggling through everything in their life because they didn't build certain things in them that were necessary, vital, important from 14 to 22. And that's the years that you guys are in. I'll tell you this. The decisions you make from 14 to 22 will affect you when you are 50, 60, and 70 years old. Like no other time period in your entire life. And we don't even think about it. So tonight is about celebrating you, but it's also to give you a challenge. Don't coast. Don't coast. I've had some of the strongest kids in their face, some of the strongest kids in my youth ministry go off to college. They started coasting their senior year. They coasted all through the first semester of their freshman year, and they're no longer in church. Worship leaders, prayer leaders, student leaders. And this is what they told me because I told them the same thing. I'm telling you, Derek, that's not me. That will never happen to me. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. I'm going to make a commitment. This is who I am. 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 It reminds me, it reminds me of Jesus having a conversation with some of his students that were about to graduate from under his leadership. In Matthew chapter 26, he's, he's talking to the disciples in the upper room the night before he's going to be, uh, the night he's betrayed and, and arrested and, and, and taken in. And so, he's, and, and so he's having this conversation with them. And this is what he says. Verse 33, he says this. In Matthew 26, he's just told them that you're going you're gonna to leave me, that you're, gonna, you're going to abandon me, that you're going to walk away from me. He tells all his disciples you're going to do this. And Peter replies, verse 23, Peter replied, even if all fall on account of you, I, will, I, will, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Notice Peter's response. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the disciples said the same thing. And listen, listen. Within a few hours, Peter denied him three times. You say that won't happen to you. Here's my question for you. Are you as strong as Peter? The leader of the disciples? The guy who sit under Jesus' teaching? Jesus himself ate with him every meal, slept in the same place that he slept in for three straight years of his life? Man, this is, this is serious. See, if I had one thing left to tell seniors, if I knew this is the last night I was going to have the conversation with you, this is the conversation I would have. We celebrate you. We love you. We are proud of you. But you have not finished the race yet. And that's the challenge tonight. Run the race to the finish. It would be so awkward if people lined up on the starting lines for the hurdles and they begin to run the race and the guy who's in the lead after the first hurdle, after he jumps over it, just stops and starts cheering and jumping up and down. And you've had all these graduation moments in your life and this is one of those moments. You're on like hurdle number three or four, but you still got like 10 more hurdles to go. And that's cool because now you have something left to look forward to. Right? Like the best years of your life are ahead, not behind you. Isn't that exciting? I even talk to my wife about that sometimes. Like we have these conversations because people be like, oh man, my wedding, my, my wedding, man, my, man that, my wedding, that was the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, I hope not. I hope that's not the greatest day of my life. I don't want to think that the greatest day of my life is behind me. I hope that I have many days ahead of me with my wife that are greater than my wedding day. Man, you have many more days ahead of you that are going to be amazing, that are going to be awesome, that are going to be marking for you. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you look in the starting blocks. It matters how you finish the race. And as we look at Scripture, we see all types of metaphors that describe what it means to live out a faith journey. Paul who most considered maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived, went on three missionary journeys, evangelized the whole known world of his day. This guy was unbelievable man of God. And Paul uses this race analogy, this race metaphor, to show what he, how he sees this faith journey. And he says a couple things about it. He says this in Acts 20, 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. In other words, in comparison to knowing Christ, my life is nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He, he has this aim. My only aim is to finish the race. He's not looking over his shoulder. He's not taking a break. He's not walking around. He's not sitting on the bench. He's not coasting. My only aim is to finish the race. And I love this. He doesn't just say he wants to finish the race, but he continues on in 1 Corinthians in, in uh, chapter 9, and he says he wants to win the race. He says this, do you not know? That in the race, all runners run, but, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Translation, don't coast. Run as hard as you can so that you can finish the race. Paul wrote 
about half of the New Testament that we have. The last chapter that he ever penned and wrote down was 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's at the end of his life. He's in prison in Rome. Shortly after he wrote this letter back to Timothy, the young Timothy, he was beheaded and killed uh, for his faith in Jesus. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, verses, uh, let me get there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 8, 6 to 8, he says this. For, he's talking about, he's at the end of his life, he's reflecting back, and he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, I have nothing left. I've given it off, poured it all out. I've, I've been poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I'm at the end of my life. I have fought the good fight. Listen to this, listen to this. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. He says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. In other words, a prize, which is, which is the Lord. The righteous judge will reward me on that day. And listen to this, not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. Also for all who finished the race as well. That there's a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but for all that want to finish the race as well. Run the race as to finish the race. And in order to do that, uh, you can write this in your notes if you're taking notes. In order to do that, I say this, you have to commit to not quit. You have to commit to not quit. We live in a culture that doesn't finish well. We live in a culture of quitters. We live in a culture that says, hey, you know what? Do it until you don't want to do it anymore and then just quit. Work at your job until your job gets hard, then you quit. Go to school until school gets hard and then quit. Stay in your marriage until your marriage gets hard, then you quit. And on and on and on and on and on. Let me just say this. Quitting always costs you more than finishing. It always does. It always does. I meet with many students every single week here at the church in my office one-on-one. I think I have six meetings just this week. I've already had three or four. And quitting on your marriage costs you. It costs you half of everything you own financially. But listen, but listen. But it costs your kids an infinite amount. And if your parents have been through that, you know what that feels like. And you know the pain. And you know that because you've been in my office and we've had those conversations. And I know what that's like. Quitting always costs more than finishing. It always does. And it's not just true of marriage. It's true in the workforce. It's true in life. It's true in every way. In every way, in every area. And I want to challenge you to not quit. I want to challenge you because here's the deal, seniors. You're going to face adversity. Freshman, sophomore, junior, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face doubt. You're going to face temptation. You're going to face trials. You're going to face pain. And it's going to be difficult at times. And you have the option to quit on church, quit on God, quit on family, quit on the things that matter in your life, or you make a commitment to say, I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to quit. 
So how do I run the race as to finish it? I think there's a couple things, and we're going we're gonna to close out. I'm going to give you four quick things, and we're going to close it out. Here it is. The first one is this. How do I run the race as to finish? The first one is this. Seek God first. Well, Derek, that's what you're supposed to say. You're a pastor. Obviously, no does. Seek God first. That sounds so much easier. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they, te- they, they teach you, you know, when you're like, uh, you know, communicating and stuff like that. When stuff happens in the crowd, you just kind of like ignore it and kind of move on and all that kind of stuff. Bro, you can't ignore that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> They're like, I'm never coming back. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Forgive me. I'll buy you a Starbucks later if I embarrass you. If not, I won't. Um, so uh, <laughs> seek God first, right? Like, like that's so much easier to say than it is to do. Like we know that intuitively, but do we really practice that and live that out? My wife's favorite verse, one of her favorite verses in, is in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which is fitting because we're about to start our next series um, on, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount coming up here, not next week, but the week the week after, uh, called uh, Camouflage, which I'm excited about. And, uh, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 talking about this, but this is the, this is the verse. My wife's favorite verse says, Seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. I talk to students all the time. They're like, man, this is falling apart. And I understand why this is going on. And this is happening. And this is happening. I have so much stress. And I have anxiety. And I have this. And I have this. And, and God would just say to you this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all that other stuff will take care of itself. Seek him first. And listen, this happens intentionally. Seniors, don't coast this summer. Students, don't coast this summer. Make a commitment. Make a personal transformation plan for your life. You're making all of these plans for what you're going to do this summer. You're making all these plans for what you're going to do when you get to college. Incorporate your relationship with God into those plans. So my plans would be something like this. God, I'm going to commit to being in your word every day this summer. God, I'm going to commit that this summer I'm going to call 10 churches at the college town that I'm going to, and I'm going to ask them about their church. I'm going to get information about their church. And I, this summer, I even may make a trip up there to go check out a couple of those churches so that by the time I get to college, I already have an idea of where I maybe would want to go to church. Because this is what's going to happen if you don't do that. Remember, you get up there on the freshman night, and you're all hanging out on Saturday night, and it's up late, and you don't want to go to church in the morning, so you don't go to church. About four or five weeks in, you're like, you know what? I really need to go to church on one Sunday. It's been too long. So you get up and you go. You hadn't done any research, so you just go to the church that you saw down the road, and so you go and you jump into this church, and you're like, I hate it. It's nothing like my church. The pastor's old. The music stinks. Everyone's wearing suit and ties. And you're like, man, I don't want to come back. And so, so you're frustrated, so you come back. But then the next couple of weeks, all the, you know, next couple of weeks, same thing. You're hanging out with friends. Like, you're like, no, I need to go check out another. And finally, what happens is you get to the end of the semester, you've checked out a couple of churches, you're frustrated because you couldn't find any place, you've been completely disconnected. And trust me, let me tell you, it will affect you. Be proactive. Put together a plan. Know what you're going to do. The second thing I would say, the third thing, spend time with God. I would say find, find a church. The third thing I would say is this. Make sure that you get connected in a ministry at the campus when you get there. The best one. If you're going to UGA, it's Wesley. 
Going to other places, it's Campus Crusade. Other places, it's InterVarsity. Other, whatever, find a ministry on campus. And here's why. Because you'll get to meet other believers and have a Christian community there. Not that you only hang out with them, but you need to have those type of people in your life that can encourage you and challenge you. And here's the deal. Many of them will be upperclassmen who are already connected to great churches, and they can steer you to the right church if you get involved in that right away. So get involved in a ministry at your campus. Be involved in something that can help you. Come up with your own personal transformation plan. Seek God first. Work that into your planning for everything else. If God is the most important thing in your life, then plan as if he is. Number two, never compromise character. Never compromise character. I remember when I got to college, (laughs) I started dating this girl. And... uh, I started dating this girl and, um, and, uh, you know, man, I was, I was all about this girl too. And, uh, and so we're, we're kicking it. Everything's going good. We're a couple, like three or four weeks in. I've talked I've to, like, no, don't say that. And, uh, we're hanging out and, uh, she, um, and she, uh, uh, and we we're in class one day, and I've mentioned this story to a few of you before, but we're in class one day and, um, we're taking a Bible quiz and, uh, and a part of the Bible quiz is you would, like, you would have to like pull out a half sheet of paper, write down a memory verse that was due at every class, and then you would uh, pass it in at the end of class. Well, um, I would not memorize the Bible. And I remember, I'm in college studying to be a pastor. I would not remember the Bible verses. I would just, the night before, write the Bible verse out on a half sheet of paper, like verbatim. And then we'd go in class, like 800 people in this like freshman evangelism class. And I'd go in there, and I would turn the paper over, and I'd pretend like I'm writing it. And then they'd say, pass in, I'd pass in, I'd get 100 every time. Obviously. <laughs> Cheating on a Bible quiz and you're going to be a pastor. That's low. Well, listen, here's the deal. I'd only been a Christian a year. I'd been cheating all through, all through high school, all through school to make a grade. I never knew that that was that big of a deal. And so until after class, the girl that I was dating was sitting right behind me, and she saw that, and she says, hey, we need to have a talk. And she pulls me aside, and she says, hey, listen, we can't be together anymore. And I'm like, what? You can, what? <laughs> and, uh, and she says, and she says uh, I, I cannot be with someone that doesn't have integrity and character. I was like, what are you talking about? And then she told me, I saw you cheat on that quiz, blah, blah. Listen, listen, listen. That was a marking moment in my life. It taught me a valuable lesson. If I dated that girl, it was for any other reason, it was for that. Character matters. I, I have never cheated on another quiz, test, anything in my life since that day. Since that day. It marked me that much. Character matters. There was a guy who's about to be the youngest CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And, uh, uh, and uh, this, the, the board had got together. This guy, this guy was brilliant. He was sharp. And, and they were in a board meeting. And they decided to take a break for lunch before they finished up the paperwork, to sign the paperwork. And so they, they went to one of these cafeteria places. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those where, like, you know, you get in the line. They're like, meat, what kind of meat you want? You, you know, you get your meat. And then you go down and you get all your vegetables. Where you get to the end and you pay. Well, one of the things about these cafeteria restaurants when you go through is that they have, like, at the end, they'll have, like, a bowl of, of butter and a bowl of sour cream. And, all, and they charge you five cents for each one them. And I've always thought that was crazy. Like, why are you going to charge my five cent for a piece of butter? I'm spending like 10 bucks on a meal and you're going to charge me five cent for a piece of butter, you cheapos. Anyway, so you, so, so this guy obviously thought the same thing. He's about to be the youngest, about to be a multimillionaire in a moment. And, uh, and he's walking through the line and, and, uh, and he picks up a piece of butter. 
He lifts the plate up, slides it under the plate, sets the plate down on top of the butter, slides it through. They ring up his meal, give him the receipt. He goes through. They did not ring up the butter because he hid it under his plate. One of the board members was behind him in line and saw him do it. So when they got back to the, to the, to the boardroom, he says, hey, would you mind waiting outside for a minute? This young CEO was uh, about to be the CEO. waits outside. The rest of the board goes in. This guy tells them what just happened. And not only did they not hire him as the CEO of the company, but they fired him from the company. Listen, listen. Over a five-cent piece of butter. Multi-millionaire with the signing of a piece of paper five minutes later, but a five-cent piece of butter took him out. What's your character and integrity worth? Five-cent piece of butter? Number three, help others cross the finish line. Help others cross the finish line. I was never a racer myself. I never was a track person or whatever, and uh, whatever you call yourselves, a runner. I hate to run. Anybody with me? Any hate run, run haters? And, uh, and so running is punishment, in my opinion. And, uh, but, but I remember when I was, uh, when I was uh, in my mid-20s, I would go and I would serve with uh, special populations, special Olympics, things like that. And I was at the Special Olympics um, uh, track meet. And, well, it was the Special Olympics, their whole deal, but they ended it with a, with a, uh, like a 100-meter dash or whatever. And, uh, and so, um, you know, different, these, these Special Olympics contestants had different things going on. Some had, you know, Down syndrome. There was, you know, um, you know autism or, or you know, uh, different physical disabilities, somewhere in wheelchairs, things like this. And so they lined up on the starting line at, at, this, uh, at this special, and by now, this is the last event of the day. Everyone had crowded into the stadium. They had lined up on the starting line, and, and, and uh, they, they shot the gun. And the contestants begin to take off, heading down, and everyone's cheering them. The crowd's going crazy, and, and they're, they're, I don't know, they're probably, I don't know, 30% of the way done down, down the, and, and one, of the, one of the girls at Down Syndrome, she, she lost control as she was running, and she fell forward, and she face-planted, and she slid just on the pavement. Like, hands, face, just, just slid. And, and when she hit the ground, she just yelled out. It was like, it was like, ah! She just yelled out really loud. And when she yelled out, all of the other contestants stopped running. Now, I'm just going to be honest. If we're in a race <laughs> and you fall down and bust your face, I'm going to finish the race and then I'm going to come back and get you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you lose, sucker. Anyways, um, I'm just... Anyways... Um, I'm not as, so, uh, so, so they all stopped in this race and they turned around and they went back over to this, this girl that had fallen down and she's crying, she's skin up and, and they got around. I'll never forget this, man. It was like, you just, you could hear a pin drop in the stadium, all these people. And, and they began to, they, they helped her up to her feet and she's there. And, and, and one of the guys like puts, puts her, puts her arm over her shoulder and on the other side. And, and they, and they just, they were like in the straight line and they all just began to walk to the finish line together. Dude, there was not a dry eye in the stadium. It was so incredibly powerful. And I've reflected over that so many times in my life. It's one of those moments that you never forget. And I, I just feel like those competitors have figured out something. And that's this. It's not just about finishing the race, 
But it is about seeing how many other people you can help get across the finish line as well. I mean, God has put you specifically in the place that he's put you to make a difference where he's put you. Whatever college that is, or whether that's the military, or whether that's the workforce, or whatever that is for you, God has specifically and purposely put you in that place so that you can make a difference in the lives of other people. And I would challenge you not only to not coast and to cross the finish line, but to bring as many people across that finish line as you will. And here's the last one. Number four. You ready? Call your mama. Call your mama. Call your mama. Let me explain. There's no one or your daddy. <laughs> call, your, call your parents. Dads are like, what? Uh, listen, your parents, your parents have spent the last 18 years of their life pouring into you, caring for you when you couldn't care for yourself, providing a roof for your head, food for you to eat. And what I've noticed is that when people take off and they go to college and they make everything about themselves, they don't think about the people that matter the most to them. And what they don't realize is that the moment they're in crisis... The only people that are going to always come to your rescue are your parents. And it took me a long time to learn this lesson. My mom would call me and she would say, you never call me. You never think about me. You never consider me. And you know, a part of that was because I was naive. But now I got a kid. And that changes things. Because now I know how much I love my little girl. And I can't imagine a day when she will be leaving my house and it would be weeks on end without having to talk to her. And so I want to encourage you guys, man, stay in touch with your family. They care about you. They love you. They're there to support you. Stay in touch. 